Welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. You know, this week, we have a treat. We have a treat? If you Is ha- it chocolate? No. Is it gooey? Th- there might be parts of it that started gooey, but they're not gooey by the time you get to, to take advantage of them. Okay. Um, if you haven't been over to the website in a while, and we certainly recommend that you do that, we have a video that uh, the good folks over at Red Bull Racing has have provided to us. It is a behind-the-scenes look at what goes on at the factory during the off-season. It, it's actually, it's a, you know, you, you make the, the sarcastic sounds, but it, I thought it was a very cool video. It wasn't actually a sarcastic, ooh. Okay. It was actually pretty cool because there's, like, stuff in that video that looks really nifty, like them cutting out the carbon fiber. Well, cutting out the carbon fiber, some of the stuff that we saw with th- that you get to see in there is they're assembling the pit garages because, mm-hmm. remember, that whole, th- that whole complex gets – taken down and put together for every race it's the walls the monitors the floors all of it so we see them doing that there's even a shot of them painting the uh jacks that are used <laughs> during the pit stops yes there's that there's you know there's the arbitrary scrubbing the floor shot too there there's that um th- there is a, a shot of adrian newey designing and christian horner answering a phone yes <laughs> 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 I felt a little, you know, Top Gear Grand Tour ish with, and on this episode, Christian Horner wears a sweater. <laughs> no, Christian Horner answers a phone. Yes. <laughs> Some guy solders a wire. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But uh, go check it out. It's it's a really cool video. We're hoping uh, that we will be able to feature more videos like that in the future from several of the teams. Um, between behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, hopefully, we'll even be able to get some videos of some car launches that we can share with you as well. Arbitrary pictures of drivers sitting on tires. Which, speaking of, of drivers sitting on tires. Okay, I got to see where you're going with this segue. You, you got to see where we're going. You know, this week, finally, finally, we have been waiting for word on what was going to happen with drivers and with seats and finally we got word that pastor maldonado is in talks for a seat with kv racing of indycar that was not the seat we were most anticipating it wasn't no well well, first wait a minute kv racing i don't even remember that name much did were they on the grid last year they were I don't believe they ran um in all the races. I think they were only on in, in two or th- you know that's one of the things about the IndyCar season is that you get teams that don't run the full season and you even get some teams that only run Indianapolis and don't <laughs> run anything else. Well, KV Racing there was hope that they would be able they're apparently in some significant financial difficulties hence the reason why they're talking to pastor in the first place i mean let's be clear here um but there was hope that there was going to be a deal between them and uh trevor carlin and carlin racing however um that probably won't happen which means that this won't happen because to give you an idea of how much trouble that kv racing is in financially all of the equipment and all of the assets have been packed up in its shop in Indianapolis, but have not yet been sold. Um, and all but three members of the team have been let go. Oh. So this isn't exactly a strong racing concern. Hmm. I don't even know you can pi- throw a pile of money at trying to fix that. I mean, remember... <laughs> What happened, even looking at Manor, when they were in receivership and everything was starting to get sold off, they suffered from that. They did, but, you know, one of the difficulties, or or one of the the differences here is, again, you don't need the full season. Mm -hmm. Um, It is, my understanding, quite a bit cheaper to run an IndyCar. I mean, you, you don't have the international travel. You don't have Bernie Eccleston's extortion fees. You don't have the hospitality setups 
and garage setups like we see in Formula One. So there, there is a bit of a discount. But knowing how much money that Pastor has, or, or Pastor in theory brings with him, and the fact that they don't necessarily need to run the entire season, instead of, you know, paying for a drive from a team that is in this financial, this level of financial difficulty, he could just buy the team. Well, he could. He could buy his own drive. Yeah. I mean, the team and all. Um, but the problem is, has anybody ever looked at the profit loss on having Pastor Maldonado drive for you? Well, there's that issue, too. I mean, he may bring a truckload of cash, but he costs a truckload of cash. Now, he, he is also... He, he's dictating some terms that if an IndyCar deal was, was going to happen, there were some terms that had to happen in order to, to meet his needs and his requirements for a drive because, you know, a driver like Pastor is in such demand. Well, you know, he says that all by himself. Yeah. Um, the deal, if it was going to happen, would not have him race on any ovals whatsoever. He is not interested in racing on ovals. It would only be on street and road racing courses, and that's it. Can you imagine what level of damage he could do on an oval? I mean, think about this. Oh, yeah. Because the way ovals work, a crash tends to have multiple, you know, it, it's not a single point of failure problem here. It's like it, it, it dominoes into big things that happen in ovals. Well, given the size of even the road courses— you know, how narrow they are, a Pastor Maldonado crash could still stop the race for a significant period of time. Red flags. Yeah. Oh, there's just, there's nothing good about this. But but let's also be clear. For Pastor, in Pastor's mind, this was a fallback option. Okay. Pastor believed, or was hoping, one of the two. We, we know that there was, we have gotten word from Pastor that he was hoping that the retirement of Nico Rosberg would open up the door for him to have a path back to Formula One with a competitive team. Now He, he was actually thinking he was going to get that Mercedes seat? Well, How he, delusional is he? He, he alluded a couple of things. Well, he alluded that maybe you know Mercedes would consider picking him up from, for some, I don't know. Well, Insanity he, piece he in its own. He is great in his own mind. However, the, the other things that, that he mentioned mm -hmm. and, and the other direction that he was looking to go is apparently there were talks going on with Sauber. Um, he was considering some possibilities to go to them, but he only wanted to do it in the right, um, the right conditions. You mean the one where Monisha doesn't put four drivers in two seats or the one in which Sauber actually is a competitive team? Well, what he said was there was a possibility of going to Sauber, which is a good team with a lot of experience but has been having a difficult time. We decided in the end, though, that the conditions were not right to satisfy either side. His Wait. check wasn't big enough, and he couldn't stay, keep from crashing enough. We. But Something his, tells me that that we was not so we. He also, though, had his sights, knowing that, you know, there was a very strong possibility that Valtteri was leaving Williams and headed over to, to Mercedes, that he also had his sights on the Williams seat. Now, it's not clear if he actually had conversations with the folks at Williams, but all I could think of when I heard him say this was, really, how stupid do you think Williams are after the way your last season went with them, including in Austin, accusing the team of sabotaging your car? Do you really think they'd want you back? Okay. We have already established that Pastor Maldonado, a wee bit delusional. Yeah. Now, here's the question I have for you. Okay. Can you name me any other former failed driver in Formula One that we continue to talk about with such iconic reverence that we talk about Pastor Maldonado? I, I don't I mean, think so. He has left a legacy on the track that is unparalleled. And I think that's the big thing is fail driver because he managed to stay in the series for a while. This wasn't like a one-season wonder and he's gone. Mm -mm. He was in the series for probably, what, five years? He won a race. 
as everybody reminds us, it's Williams' yeah. last victory in Barcelona. Do you think that that's a curse, like goat in Chicago or something? I, yeah. The curse of Maldonado? I don't know. But, yeah. Well, he's a one-race winner, so he is like a, a similar to a one-hit wonder. But... I mean, I think the, the other thing that you, you've got to quantify pa- pastor's issues with, you, you do. One, one is the fact that he actually did win a race at Williams and probably was in a position in 2012 to have won several other races if he actually managed to keep himself under control. Mm-hmm. And he was his own worst enemy. But the other thing is the whole reason he ended up in – Formula One in the first place is that in the feeder series that he was in the year before, he won it soundly. I mean, he is somebody who can drive quickly. He just can't drive quickly without hitting things. It's control that bothers that bothers and is thwarts Pastor Maldonado's success is having control under pressure. The problem with that is that's one of the definitions of Formula One. Yeah. And I think that it's the consistency of the spectacular crashes that he has had that brings him to a legendary status. To some extent, yes. Even though he may not actually ever end up in the record books in Formula One, and we'll hope it stays that way. Oh, he could end up in a record book, just not for the things that you'd want him to be in, that he wants to be in the record book for. Most expensive crashed driver, possibly in the record book for that. I was really hoping that he would be the first driver to get a race suspension under the revised points rules. And it didn't happen. He let me down. We definitely had a bet going that he was going to be doing that. And he has become iconic enough that the boy tends to return refer to catastrophic failures as being a Maldonado. Yes. So the other big announcement. There was confirmation that Pascal Verline has the seat over at, at, at Sauber. Mm-hmm. This, this is now a done thing. We've got a little more about Pascal later that, that broke just as we were getting ready to record. Um, but the other thing, possibly, I don't even know if I'd call it a secret. Highly anticipated, highly speculated, pretty much expected, despite the fact that Toto Wolf initially came out and said that doing this was worst case scenario because it would screw up Williams royally. Valtteri Bottas has been confirmed as taking Nico Rosberg's seat over at Mercedes. I think that's awesome. Congratulations to Valtteri. Congratulations to Mercedes. Um, I just, I, I, and I don't necessarily think that it's going to be detrimental to Williams, but we have well, said we'll get that to that in a minute. We're gonna. We have said that Valtteri is an excellent driver. And to be given this opportunity, I think is phenomenal. Well, you know, this is where we really are going to have to see what Valtteri is made of. Because what we have found, one of the things that has come out, and it, 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 it's highly speculated. We, we don't have 100% confirmation. But the expectation, based on Toto Wolf's comments, is that this is a one-year deal. Now, there are options for follow-on rules, but this is a one-year deal. It's a one-year deal knowing that Sebastian Vettel's contract is through this year. Mm-hmm. And several other drivers, Fernando Alonso's contract is through this. Not that I could see Fernando going to Mercedes, but Fernando Alonso's contract is through this year. Kimi Raikkonen's contract is through this year. There's a lot of drivers who are also sitting on contracts that expire at the end of this year. If Valtteri doesn't produce and produce quickly, there is a pretty good chance that he's only going to get this one year in this seat. Well, yeah, and I think that that's the risk that both sides have to take. I mean, let's let's just review for a minute. Nico Rosberg thoroughly and completely screwed Mercedes in having the choice picks of who they he might. He screwed the whole grid doing that. Yeah. I mean, he he screwed the up-and-comers that could have possibly had a seat that got locked down in contracts because that seat wasn't open. Mm -hmm. The only reason that Valtteri's is being uh, renegotiated is because that's the one that was willing to renegotiate. So you never know. Yes and no. You don't know who 
Mercedes, you know, I don't want to think that Valtteri was a second choice or a ninth choice or a worst case scenario, but... I think he was the only choice they had. I think that that's what it came down to, is that was the only choice that was negotiable at that point. And that's because Nico wasn't forthcoming with what his grand plan was going to be. Had he said in Japan, when he was starting to feel like it, this was his championship to win, if he had even pulled Toto aside and said, hey, keep this on, under your hat, but if I win this championship, I'm going to retire immediately afterwards, there could have been some horse trading that could have happened but to do it after the end of the season when everything but the worst seats on the grid were locked down um let's also remember that nico negotiated last year and there was a big show of it a two-year contract right that so he walked away i mean it's <coughs> there's a bunch of stuff here i mean there's just a lot of layers so i can see why mercedes would have only wanted to lock in for a year and allow themselves to have this year to figure it out they have to get a butt in the seat this was the butt that was available yeah and while it's an incredible opportunity for valtteri and i don't want to discount the fact that valtteri is a very good driver the truth of the matter is, he's the butt that was available. So step up to the plate, knock it out of the park. Good luck, Valtteri, because you're adorable. I'd love <laughs> to see you do well. So then the next question becomes, okay, so Valtteri's up and moved. Who takes the Williams seat? Now, we had heard, again, that Felipe had agreed back, what, around Christmas? Mm-hmm. To taking on a one-year deal, that was confirmed as well. That Williams had managed to convince Felipe to come out of retirement that after a month. <laughs> that he a didn't month of really want. Didn't sit well. that, that he didn't want, really want to go to in the first place, and returned for another year with the team alongside rookie Lance Stroll. I think that's also a cool thing. Yes and no. A again, we've lost an opportunity for a, a another young drive. Now, granted, there's a limit to how young Williams could have gone at this point because Martini's going to want somebody at least, you know, old enough to drink. Well, they require an 18-year-old in the car, mm -hmm. which is why they had to delay Lance's announcement as being the driver, even though everybody knew that it was going to be Lance, they had to wait until Lance had turned 18 to announce him. So that's a martini rule. They'd really like somebody that's over 22. Yeah. Everything that I have read. They, Williams, as a Formula One team, not a drinks sponsor, mm -hmm. um, wants a mature driver that's got F1 experience to help the young driver. To help it's the young a, driver and help develop this car. And I develop mean. the car. Those are two things that they see as a great value. I think that that's what Felipe Massa brings to the plate. He works well with the team. He's beloved. So I think it's a good move on Williams' part. Again, it's a one-year deal. This is a direct reaction to having been screwed over by Nico Rosberg. And so everybody's kind of scrambling to fill butts and seats and this is the better choice i mean think about it who would you rather have as your senior driver felipe massa or pastor maldonado yeah I, I mean there there is that and again like i said like williams would be stupid enough to take him on um in a way i kind of wonder if verline might have been a better choice here granted he's only got one year of experience but still I, I think it goes down to years of experience. I really do. Years of experience and knowing the team. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a case for Williams very much of, this is the person we know. Now, this, uh, the personality we know. Now, to get back to your earlier comment about the driver sitting on tires, we got none of that. No driver sitting on we, tires? We got pictures of Valtteri sitting on the nose of the car. Ooh, he upgraded from the tires to the nose. We got pictures of what appears to be possibly the new Mercedes standard. We'll, we'll see what happens, you know, next time we have contract negotiations of Toto and, and Valtteri sitting at a desk and ceremonially signing papers. Mm. 
but we did not get picture of anybody sitting on a tire. Wow. But we also haven't had car launches yet. We have not. We'll see how that goes. Now, we're still about a month away from car launches. Um, the other thing that I am sure you were very much wondering about, Felipe's retirement gift from Williams. If you recall, the Massimobile from Brazil. The one that said thank you in Portuguese. And had instead of saying uh, Martini said Massa, mm-hmm. that was given to uh, Felipe as a retirement gift from Williams. Felipe has announced that part of his deal was that he gets to keep that car. <laughs> He's not giving it back. You can't take my, my gift away. Yeah, you, you, you can't have my car back. Other team news. You know, through the years, um, the colors of McLaren have been set as a part of Ron Dennis's design ethos. Where he knows what is best. It's not Father Knows Best. It's Ron Knows Best. Yeah. Well, Zach Brown has, has come out and said that all and, and all he has said is that they've, they've signed off on a car livery. It's changed a bit. Um, he's very excited about it. The folks at, at the plant, at McLaren Technology Center, they're all very excited about it. But they don't want to tell us what it is yet. It's a surprise. The the rumor is that it could be orange. Ooh. Which is, it's a color that McLarens have sported before. Um, 97 and 90, actually, uh, from 1968 to 1971, uh, McLarens colors were orange in F1 and in Can-Am, in the Can-Am series. Um, they also ran a car in orange colors during preseason testing in 97 and 98, and again in 2006. Hmm. Now, we won't know for sure until February 24th, but going back to 2015 and Ron Dennis and his ethos, and you know there was talk when Ron Dennis came back about changing the colors of the car, and, and th- th- they weren't going to stay silver at that point, in which direction that they were going to go now that they had Honda on. Um, Ron's words, and just to remember what he had said, he said, we have had the same discussions about livery inside the team. All of these people were saying, why don't we make it orange? Because that was the old color of McLaren. And Ron said, well, I say, you just said it. It was the old color of McLaren. Why the hell do we want to go backwards? So what do you do? Do you create an aesthetically pleasing design? But for what purpose? This is the livery of McLaren. It has always been a combination of these colors, and it will only change for commercial reasons. It won't change just to make a few people in the company happier because they want it orange or they want it yellow. Orange it is, huh? Okay, so I got to tell you, just aesthetically, I'm really excited about an orange car. Like I was excited about a bright yellow car. Because they're easy to spot. They're easy to spot. This number of... Black and silver cars is for the birds. Even the matte navy blue of Red Bull is hard to distinguish. Between the Toro Rossos. And especially with the Toro Rossos, they're essentially the same livery. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard. But, uh, yeah, Ron Dennis saying, I'm not going to do it unless somebody pays me. To now McLaren saying, yeah, I don't think we're going to go that route. Or <laughs> hopefully. They will not be going that route. That's the hope. We'll see what happens there. Uh, their car launch is February 24th, which I believe is also the same day as Mercedes. I thought Mercedes was the 23rd, but I could be wrong. They, they have scheduled theirs at the, on the same day as somebody else's. So I don't have the calendar up in front of me right now. And, you know, we're still waiting for the further updates so that we can actually get out our calendar, the one that meets my standards. It's the only one that's important. I have a feeling it's not going to go out until well after the season starts, meeting your standards and all. It, it shouldn't be because it, at some point they need to have that information up on Formula One's website because, you know, you kind of need that to sell the tickets. Yeah. Possibly. Um, this week, officially, the League of Super Evil met 
and they have signed off on the Liberty Takeover deal. The FIA has signed off on the Liberty Takeover deal. The stockholders have signed off on a Liberty Takeover deal. Um, it's pretty much done at this point. Okay, so how how long do we have to do the countdown for Bernie Eccleston to be out? Well, that's one of the rumors that has been flying around is that we may have an answer on that within the next week. No. Yes. I was being flip. I figured as much, but there has been talk, uh, including Bernie saying after he came out and said during the season that he was asked to stay on for three years, now coming out and saying that, well, you know, his future rests with the folks over at Liberty, and we'll have to see what they want, and now rumors of possibly something in the next week to two weeks um, regarding his future one way or the other. So, yeah, we'll see where that goes. Ooh. But Liberty has also said that, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to finalize their plans as to how they want to run the sport and, and marketing and make some decisions. You know, we've heard some rumors about cost cutting and things of that nature. Uh, but word has also come out from the folks at Liberty that they're not particularly impressed with uh, the financial deals that have been put in place surrounding Ferrari. Oh, really? Yes. So they obviously think that Ferrari is indispensable to Formula One and they wish to pay them all the monies. We don't know. Oh. All we know is that um, the current terms are not something that it appears that Mo that Liberty uh, likes. I wonder if they're listening to the other teams that are like, you know, this is not really fair. Well, it, it depends because remember – Williams has a deal of its own that's very similar. McLaren has a deal that's similar. Um, Renault got a deal as part of their return that's very similar. And Mercedes, because, you know, a as Bernie says, they screwed him by winning the championships multiple times, has a similar deal. So I don't know how that's going to work. Yeah, but if you restructure all of those deals and level it out on a performance-based basis model, you'd stop having people that made ninth making as much money as the people that made third. Well, that's the hope. We don't know what they're going to get away with, what the teams are going to agree to. And the teams still have a pretty decent amount of power here. And I don't believe that this deal is up for another two years, if I remember correctly. Mm. I thought this was going through 2020 was the, the current deal. Well. So I don't know how this is going to work. And it'll all be speculation because it's all top secret anyway. Yeah. Um, also speculation, word is on the street that uh, a deal was put forward to take over Manor mm -hmm. and save them. However... The, the rumor also says that an answer needed to be given as to whether or not this would work by this past Friday, and we have heard nothing else. Maybe that's because the ink's not dry. I don't know. Maybe there's hope. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think if, this if Manor survives this, they need to have a new livery that involves their new symbol, which, of course, will be a phoenix. Yeah. I, we'll see. So one of the rule changes that we were supposed to get this year, and we have not gotten, and it has been postponed until at least 2018, as you recall, is the Halo. Right. So what's going on? Are they testing new designs? What's happening? Well, officially development work has ended on the Halo. They, they have wrapped up the project. Um, the FIA has come out with a Halo design that they are happy with and that they like. Um, however, the new assistant race director, who has apparently been heading this up, um, has said it is up to the sports bosses whether the device is implemented or if an alternative route is followed. Um, what he says is that they very much completed the project. It was one of their research projects and has been one of the most intense ones. As far as the engineering work is concerned, it's complete. Now there is more of a philosophical discussion to, be, to happen between the stakeholders of the sport, the drivers, and the FIA, the and the teams to understand uh, if it is right for F1 and for single-seaters or maybe 
go a different direction. But as of right now, it is still on track for 2018 deployment. One of the things that was done in recent weeks is that uh, the FIA ran a simulation of uh, Fernando Alonso's crash last year in Melbourne with the halo and how that would have worked and what it would have been like to uh, extract a driver from the car. And as you recall, Fernando pulled himself out of that car, what it would have been like for a driver to pull themselves out of the car with the halo on there. Haven't really heard much about what the driver's opinions were of that, but they did do that to show, you know, this is essentially what that halo is designed for and what the, that impact would be and what it would be like. Uh, from what we hear, the driver, that the, the stand-in driver that they used uh, was able to get out of the car unaided. Mm-hmm. Um, it does sound like it took him a little longer than Fernando to get out of the car in that position with the halo on there, but he was able to do it. So many thoughts go through my head, really, because... To be very honest, I don't like it. I mean, let's just be really frankly honest about it. My question is, it's not whether or not he could get out of the car unaided. It's not any of the the pieces about that. My question is, Fernando Alonso wound up concussed, or was he concussed? Um, No, this time he was concussed. He was concussed. Yes, this this time he did. He was concussed from that accident. I mean, he literally dragged, he was dragged along the gravel pit by his head. So I get it. Uh, not really because of the design, but yeah. I mean, he banged his head around pretty good. Mm-hmm. But he, he his head wasn't dragged through the gravel. I mean, it, it, the layout of the car, and it, no. <laughs> I, I it, it was hard really there, but okay. Um, but, I mean, he barrel rolled a couple of times too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was... There were significant G-forces and... So my question <coughs> is, did the halo impact any damage the driver would have sustained did it change the fact that he was still going to be concussed because the significant like i said barrel rolled that halo has nothing to do with barrel rolls no it's situations like and, and i think the closest analog that we have is um justin wilson's death in indycar from the tire at pocono mm-hmm. um Felipe Massa's injury in Hungary, uh, what was that, 2009, with the the spring falling off Barrichello's car and hitting him in the head. Those are the kind of scenarios. Um, One of the things that was mentioned, though, is that, yes, technically the halo would have been in the right place uh, to help uh, Jules Bianchi, or would have been in the right place that it would have come into play in Jules Bianchi's crash, but the force was such that it probably would not have prevented that from playing out the way it did those those are really my questions is are we putting something in place that is show only um is it the best solution is it the best solution does it make good sense so there's there's all of those pieces now the fia also says that they are still open to alternatives um one of the ones that uh was thrown out there was Red Bull's aero screen, mm-hmm. which I think does look better. Yeah, it, it, It's essentially a half-height canopy in front of the driver. However, it didn't pass... The, the design as they drew it out and as they implemented didn't pass the impact and collision testing that uh, was being done last year, so it was abandoned. The FIA says if somebody comes up with something better than a halo, they're open to it. I still think that they need to do a, a decent engineering contest on that. And There's that, and I think they also they need to get buy-in from the other series that are governed by the FIA that are open wheel, whether that's the junior GP2 and GP3 series, whether that's convincing IndyCar to, to, to run them. And, and we've seen in the last, I mean, again, going back, we had Justin Wilson's death. We had the incident involving... Um, Alexander Rossi last year, uh, that wasn't at Sonoma, at one of the tracks in the pit lane where he drove over another car. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we've had incidents in the last couple of years in IndyCar in particular, and they're not looking to make a move to implement this. Right. So 
it begs the question, why Formula One? Why now? And are you going to get the bang for your buck on this one? And that's, those are all the questions I have every time we do something like this. And I want to know for a fact that it actually impacts safety and isn't just a show for safety. Yeah, that's the thing is let, let's not put it in and claim that it, it, it's safer. Let's actually make sure it is safer. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's more dangerous, but it did. For don't all put it in because it looks like it'll be safe. Right. If, this, if, if it's show safety, then no. If it's actual safety, I'm all for it. But then again, I have to say, I'm not all that pro to having overly safe-looking cars because one of the things that you like about Formula One is that it's inherently dangerous. But the question I have for you, does a car with a closed cockpit, a Formula One car with a closed cockpit of any sort, look to you less dangerous than say the Le Mans prototype cars, which are fully enclosed. No, not on the surface. So just enclosing the cockpit doesn't say to you that the level of risk to the driver has gone down. No, okay. I don't think so. And I'm not opposed to closing the cockpit. Keep that in mind. Okay. Done right. I'm almost, and I might be, you know, hypocritical here, but I'm almost more pro closing the cockpit than I am the halo. That I think makes decent sense. And the only question that comes in that you have to have at that point, though, is knowing that you've got the Le Mans cars that are running in a, that, that are single seat race cars with an enclosed cockpit. How do you differentiate between what Formula One does and what is done at that level in Le Mans? And I don't have a good question. And I think that is the true reason why Formula One is resisting closing that cockpit. Is because once they go to a fully enclosed cockpit, they don't have a good answer as to how they're different from the, the LMP prototype cars. Other than just the look of the car. I thought LMP was closed wheel, though. I could be wrong. It, it is. They, they can go either way. Okay. It's, it be, because they're prototype cars, um, there, there was a three-wheel design that was running. But if I remember correctly, the Nissan car, two out of those three wheels were, were exposed. I could be wrong. But I think that that becomes the question. And, and really, is there that much of a level, that much of a difference in the racing between open wheel and a closed wheel car? And I don't know. I don't know that answer. But you, you've got a good point. You definitely have a good point. While we're talking about wheels and tires. Okay. No, you know, we, we keep them from getting too bad. We keep those conversations, and this one isn't going to go driving down that road either. Okay. It just word that, you know, one of the big complaints that the, the drivers have had actually for the last couple of years is that the wet weather tires they don't like. Right. They don't handle well. They don't perform well. They don't warm up well. Um, and a lot of times we've seen that they want to get off them and onto inters or even the slicks much faster because the tires aren't working. They can't get them to work. Well, Pirelli acknowledges that this is an issue. They've been working to, to redevelop the compounds. And one of the things that they have asked, especially with the big change in compounds this year, is to get an extra wet weather tire test. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was granted for this year. Yay. Word came out they will get another test session. Uh, they're going to be using one of the mule cars that was built for the tire testing in order to do additional tire testing to make sure that they can get these tires right. The concern that Pirelli has is one of the rule changes during the race this year is that, they, or, or dur- during the, for during the season this year, that it's going to come to race days is to have uh, standing starts uh, in the rain. And to do that more often, and I have to go and look up exactly, and we'll hear more about it in the coming weeks, 
But I believe in instead of starting a race under safety car conditions, they're instead going to be starting under a standing start. So if they're starting under a standing start, per, the tires need to warm up quickly. Right. So Pirelli wants to make cha- is trying to make changes to the tires, so the wet weather tires in particular, so that they can get up to their operating temperature faster so that the drivers can get some confidence under them. And there, again, lessens the need for having them to start slowly under that safety car and figure out how to keep heat in those tires. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's a rough thing. I'm not sure how I feel about standing starts, though. I don't like the six laps under safety car either because the truth of the matter is— That's not racing. Well, it's not even that it's not racing. It's, I don't even think it's safer because the safety car can't handle the track— as well, even in severe wet conditions, as the the cars can. So the safety car becomes the limiting factor to that lap time. Yeah. And while I don't want the drivers going half cocked, they they can't keep they can't get the the heat into the tires to keep and, the traction and keep themselves safe. And so they're less safe because they can't go the speed that is safe for them because the safety car isn't yeah. can't, can't go that fast. And that combination bothers me. So maybe what actually has to happen, instead of Pirelli uh, reworking the tires, maybe Mercedes needs to redesign the safety car. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> See, I wonder. A safety well, car that performs better in the wet. And see, and that has direct uh, production value to it. There you go, because it's a Mercedes Roadster there. Yeah, but what if the safety car was more like an F1 car? There's no rule that says that it has to be a production vehicle. There isn't, but that's a marketing piece, though. I understand that. Be- because you get to turn around and say, you know, this is the car that's used to contain the, the F1 cars and, and, and performs at that level. But that's the issue here is that it's not performing at the level that it's needed to. So maybe that's the real issue. And maybe Mercedes needs to go away from the rear-wheel drive roadster that has been criticized on many occasions in the production form for being really bad in the wet. Maybe that's the answer. See, there we go. We we have sorted the safety car issue. Once again, that that sh- is us, problem solvers again. And should F one adopt our idea, you we will take credit for it here on the book and the bird. Mercedes can deliver one for us to check out. Well, that would be nice too. But we are out of garage space. Yeah, there is that issue. Um, so some with. The other changes that are happening next year, we heard, what, two weeks ago that Australia was making changes uh, to accommodate the higher speeds? Mm -hmm. Well, now word has come out that actually every single track on the calendar is making changes to accommodate the higher speeds and make them safer. We also got word as as to exactly what the FIA looks for when it tries to put out these uh, these changes, you know, it's not a matter of they just they pull the barriers back so that there's more runoff. There, there is actually a thought and a method method to this. And actually, on the straights, the FIA wants the walls closer to the track, not further away. The idea being is that um, they want to limit the possibility for the car to catch an angle and hit the wall head on. So by keeping them closer, you're lessening the chance that the car can swivel over and head on into the wall. Instead, they take it off to the side. They take it at a much gentler angle and slow the car down that way. Um, But on the other hand, when you're looking at the runoff areas, say at the end of the braking zone, those they do want the runoff to be as long as possible instead of having the barriers there because they want to give as much time for the car to scrub off speed before impact as they can. Yeah. So yeah, in some air, on some tracks they're asking for the walls to get moved closer to the track, and others they're, they're looking to move things further away. It does make you wonder about that corner in Baku, that's twelve meters. What is it like twelve meters wide? Oh, you mean the, the one by the castle, the, yes. the Super Mario turn? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, because that's going to be a turn, so it's a corner, but they can't move the walls. Yeah. 
I mean, as it is, they're taking away uh, well, sidewalk. It's also anything in Monaco. Yeah. Monaco's got the same issues. They even they don't really even have much of a straight either. And the straight they do have is uphill, and, and they had to put the walls there because otherwise there's a cliff. <laughs> and a building. <laughs> well, there's tiny straights on either side of the hairpin. Yeah. Tiny. Now, you got to wonder at this point. So additional money has to get invested into the tracks. Right. And then you have Silverstone saying the races are too damn expensive. Mm-hmm. Does this really make the folks who organize Silverstone happy? It can't possibly. Word came out this week. There was a rumor that was flying that Silverstone has already approached uh, FOM and the FIA and said, we're pulling out. 2019, we're, we're, we are activating the clause. We're out of here. Now, on Friday, the BRDC released a letter that said, no, no, we, ha- we have not done that. We haven't made a call. It's going to be a couple of months before we make that decision. That has not happened. However, there was briefly a story floating around based on rumors that said that they had, announced, they had told uh, both FOM and the FIA that they were done and they were exercising the clause. So the reports of Silverstone pulling out have been greatly exaggerated. Yeah. It'll be interesting because maybe they did, and FOM said, whoa, whoa, wait, step back away from the clause. Let's yeah. think. Because you don't know. You just don't know what those phone calls really sound like. Yeah, th- there's a lot, a lot of discussion that we clearly don't hear. And a lot of these negotiations – I mean, I can't imagine that the BRC is making this decision without talking to anybody. I can't imagine they're not talking to Liberty, that they're not talking to, to the FIA, they're not talking to everybody looking for other terms. And along the same lines, I can't imagine that um, Liberty is not already making or, or looking for an alternate arrangement should Silverstone decide that they're going to pull out. Well, that's the hope. I mean, I don't think that Liberty is as short-sighted as saying, well, our hands are tied. I mean, they want to get creative with other contracts. Maybe they can get creative with this one, too. Yeah. So one of the areas that Liberty has said that they're going to be getting creative with is how to market the sport. Okay. How to market the series, how to get more people involved and, and do stuff. So one of the proposals is, that has been put forward and has not actually been put forward by Liberty, but got to wonder if they're considering it, came from France Toast the team principal over at Toro Rosso, who has said that Formula One should incorporate e-races into the schedule. So you're wondering, what is an e-race? What, what is he talking about? No, I'm, I'm assuming that an e-race would be using the electric cars of the Formula E series. No. Okay, so tell no. me what a Formula but, e- but this idea does come from something that happened that Formula E did earlier this year. Um, they did. It was actually it was part of CES. Formula E ran a Formula E e race at CES. And what this was, what it was a simulated uh, Formula E race involving both current Formula E drivers and amateur challengers from the sim racing video game series pitted them head-to-head with a $1 million prize for the winner. Now, it didn't run without controversy, and obviously it did not generate the um, attention that Formula E hoped for because I'm guessing that 99% of the folks who listen to this show, let alone follow Formula One or Autosport in general, knew that this happened. Mm-hmm. But... That's the, the thought here is that this is a way to drive additional engagement because, as Frantos says, and I don't know if this is true, is that this is a huge community. This is a very rabid community. It's a very competitive community. Apparently, there is a very large e-racing series that at least Frantos, and, and I'm assuming the Formula E marketing folks, believe 
is interested in motorsport as a whole and isn't following races, but they're following these simulated races. Okay. So as an idea of driving additional fan involvement and fan commitment to have Formula One e-races on Sunday mornings. Now, no word as to whether or not that would include actual drivers or these would be sim racers and amateur sim racers going up against each other every weekend and how they would manage to pull that off. But he thinks that this is a way to go and drive engagement and to attract the younger folks. I have so many thoughts colliding in my brain right now, I cannot even react. Well, the problem I have with this, and and yes, I get to some extent they're right, video games and professional video gaming is becoming a bigger thing. I'm not sure. Fundamentally, I have a problem with that. But that's. But but that's. Yes, it's becoming a bigger thing. I'm not sure it's a big enough thing, especially sim racing. I'm not sure. And and I could be wrong, but I'm not sure that that is a big enough thing to draw any kind of a significant fan base. Now, the other thing that Franz Toast in particular says that he calls out, and this is something that I believe he's right, is that the sport and the, the various race organizers need to look at what they're doing on the race weekends to attract people through the turnstiles. And the thing that, and, and I think he, he's probably exaggerating a little bit here, but the thing that he calls attention to is Austin. In this past year, Taylor Swift performing at Austin and having a concert there. Franz Tos says that somewhere between seventy to 80,000 people showed up at the track specifically for the Taylor Swift concert and then went, oh, hey, look, there's a race here. Let's check that out, too. <laughs> I'm not completely sure that that's accurate. It wouldn't surprise me if she did drive some modest bump in attendance unless there was a separate ticket that you could have gotten just for the Taylor Swift concert. I don't know. It's possible, but I don't think so. So I don't think sixty to 70,000 people when what race attendance was 110,000 is really accurate. Okay. But I agree with the attract more stuff besides just the Formula One race. I'm down with that plan. And I'm down. So I've had a moment to collect my thoughts. Process. Process. I'm down with an idea that I have to give Friends Toast credit for. He's trying to be creative. Mm-hmm. And I think, done in the right way, this e-racing concept to not just drive an alternative reason to come down to the track or something like that, but to give people ownership in something so like for example could it be designed in such a way that it's a less you know like an e-racing series but instead the people that go to the track can have an opportunity they could buy a ticket for or whatever to race and then have already like preloaded maybe fast laps from some of the famous drivers of that same track Mm -hmm. and so you could go head to head with your favorite driver in an e-style um, as a way of connect. The, the thing that Formula One doesn't do a great job of doing is connecting your experience to what's going on. Well, I, I, I think where they do that, and, and this is take a look, and, and they, they did a crappy job of it, but take a look at when we were over at Mid-Ohio for the IndyCar race, Honda set up, this race simulation it was a cheesy race simulation booth but there's a race simulation booth where you could in theory race an indy car around the mid-ohio track correct now it didn't work particularly well things were out of alignment and and there were issues there but it was a free thing for the fans to do Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily need to have i mean yeah it's cool to have the ghosted drivers so you can go up against them and and maybe the um, especially on a Sunday where you get the opportunity to go up against the qualifiers hot lap right? Um, for 
a modest that that's the other thing it would have to be a modest fee because formula one being formula one under the way that it's normally worked in order to do that one or two or maybe even five laps they'd probably charge you somewhere in the area of 75 to 100 bucks for that simulator time well and, and that's ridiculous and that's ridiculous and so i was only thinking of a fee or like a special ticket or something so that you didn't have the lines you know mm-hmm. wrapping around but you're right. That simulator thing was kind of cool. Had it been done better and without the stupid helmet heads, um, would have been a much better option. They look like bobbleheads. Is what they, they were. Like. Um, but that would have been a cool concept. It 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 gives you an idea. And even if you had like an elimination series, like you, for example, and I'm spitballing an idea here. It's a it's a. It starts on the Friday with practices, and it's open to everybody. It's free to enter. Mm-hmm. It's open to everybody. The best 50 laps that go through that process move on to, like, a Saturday deal where it becomes an elimination process. And then the winner of the whole thing could get taken out on the track with one of the drivers maybe in a Mercedes car. That's not a Mercedes Indy car. Right. A, a F1 car. But a Mercedes, like, the, the safety, safety car. Co- well. Yeah, not the safety car, but something, the same model. The same concept. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that, you know, you get, and maybe it's not even like. Whatever a, Mercedes supercar that they're promoting. But, and maybe it's not even like a driver that drove that weekend. Maybe it's their test and development driver. You're still going mm-hmm. out with an F1 driver. I mean, you can do stuff like that, that really encourages people to come back and they try and they're, 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 they're processing parts of it. They're getting a sense, especially if it's like the simulators that are, that, Max Verstappen is driving. Mm-hmm. If you're doing that kind of thing, you get a sense as to what that's all about because those simulators are not stand inside a bobblehead and use a, a remote. It's it's built to make you feel a little bit more of what's going on. The challenge there, as much as that that's a neat idea, but but the challenge there is how do you scale that? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I mention that because, again, ad- admittedly not every race attracts these kind of crowds, but – you look at what Austin has done, and, and even with their declining attendance on Friday and Saturday in particular, or excuse me, Saturday and Sunday in particular, they've got a hundred thousand people there. Right. So how do you scale it, or at least filter it to, to allow people to do it without the vast majority of your fans who wanted to do it being pissed off? Well, I think that part of it is it's only open to people that buy the weekend ticket and are there on Friday. You know, you you start having to spread some of that attendance around. Yeah. Um, maybe they maybe it's a lottery system of you know so many tickets get an invitation to come in, and you know if you not if you don't are not interested. Um, or maybe you register when you buy your tickets for the lottery system for such a thing, or something to that effect. Some way that you could say, okay, the first thousand people can participate in this, and then you go to the second round at fifty, so that it's scalable and also talk aboutable. I mean, that's the other thing. If you have a hundred thousand people trying to do simulator time, you're not going to be able to talk about it. Yeah, it's it's too overwhelming. Now, keep in mind, a hundred thousand people. The truth is, I'd go to Austin, so don't want to sit in the simulator. To me, you couldn't pay me enough to do that. You you have to pay me to go do that. So there's one seat. Yeah, I mean, seat. not everybody's going to want to do it, but. There's one seat that wouldn't be interested. Now, I would be interested in other things that they could do that would engage me. But I'm already a fan. That's not a non-fan. But you look at everybody that's purchased all the various driving games that are out there. They are That's a potential fan base that's in the right demographic market for you mm-hmm. if you're not stupid expensive yeah I mean that's the other piece of this is look at the way you've got all your contracts built does it have to be so expensive that a family can has to make the choice between Sunday only or going and make a family weekend out of it and especially for the European races does it make better sense to charge the premium because you are the the world-class sport and a global sport and, and believe that you deserve a premium, that means that a family can only go to one race a season, or do you lower the ticket prices enough so that you have families that can afford to go to multiple races a season? Okay, so the argument there is if you start lowering it to the point that fans could go 
to multiple races, you're not opening the door to new fans. You're just increasing the depth of your current fan base. Now, I'm not arguing that point. There's a need for that too. But if you could lower the price to increase new blood that then could go to multiple races, you've won everything. That's that's Nirvana. But the, the where I would say that that doesn't work uh, of, you know, keep keeping the tickets high so you can only go to one race is look at the NFL. They have, what, 20 games a season? And there are no shortage of folks who can easily afford to attend a rate, to, who, who can attend multiple games in a season, if not every single season, or every game in a season, every home game in a season, I should say. Mm-hmm. Plus playoffs, because the ticket prices are affordable enough for them to get in and do that. True. I mean, heck, for the... For the the cost of, of what tickets can run for an IndyCar race, we've talked about. We've got three different races that happen with – actually, no. At this point, it's – yeah, three, no, I'm right. We, we've got – no, it's four races now that are within a five-hour drive of us. No, yeah. actually, it's five races. All right, there's two in Detroit. There's one in mid-Ohio, and I was there's two in De- Indy. I was counting Detroit once. I was counting Indy once. But there's also Toronto, which is about a five-hour drive from us. And there's also Watkins Glen, which is about a five-hour drive from us. Yep. Yep. By comparison. Well. And if, if we had the time, we could arguably probably afford to do at least two to three races. Counting Detroit as a single weekend. And that, I think, is... I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah. Not this year, though. No. No, we've got enough going on. And and, and a lot of their races still, you know, conflict with the Formula One schedule. And and we're still preferably Formula One. So let's keep that in mind, too. But uh, the last bit of news actually is breaking news that occurred just as we were getting... hit the wires just as we were getting ready to record yes so this weekend down in miami is the race of champions uh which is formula one racers as well as races from other disciplines including wrc wec and indycar competing against each other to rate to um uh, represent their nation in this event it's down at uh, the marlins baseball stadium they've actually built uh, a track inside and outside. It's kind of like a figure eight track. Right. Um, there's a there's actually for the inside track. There's actually a crossover. Uh, you have drivers starts the, the two drivers start side. It's two drivers at a time start side by side. One going to the left, one going to the right. They complete the loop and cross over to co- do the other side. Oh my! Yeah. Um, Plus, there's a skills thing uh, going on in one of the lots outside as well that we've seen a couple of drivers in. Um, I know David Cothart is racing. Felipe Moss is racing. Sebastian Vettel. Um, Alexander Rossi is racing as well. A lot of the, the event is happening using um, Polaris spl- uh, slingshots, yes. which are three-wheeled cars. Um, Alexander Rossi posted a picture of himself uh, driving in the skills challenge with a comment that normally when he drives a three-wheeled car, it started off as a four-wheeled car. <laughs> <laughs> but there's news that came out of this. Yeah, the breaking news that occurred this morning is that apparently Pascal Verlein, who is racing to represent his home country of Germany, has been forced to withdraw from the competition due to a uh, fairly dramatic-looking wreck. Uh, he was in the stadium racing Felipe Massa and apparently cli- uh, clipped Felipe, which uh, made the car unstable, possibly put it on two wheels, and he ended up rolling over the Tech Pro barrier at one end. Yeah. Um, it does not appear that he has suffered any significant injuries. Uh, however, as a precaution, he has been in, uh, it, it was recommended that he withdraw from the competition, and he has done so. Well, we'll have to, you know, determine whether or not he was concussed or not concussed. You know, was he concussed on impact? 
Um, but given that this is January, he should have plenty of time to recover from his concussion. Um, should he have one? We should, don't know. If he is concussed. Yeah, we don't know if that has actually what occurred. What is the state there of is his no where, Nobody has asked Ron Dennis to weigh in one way or the other. So <laughs> With Ron's medical degree yes, as to whether or not his, his grand concussed. medical experience. So we wish him a speedy recovery if he is at all hurt. But uh, other than that, I think that wraps up. Remember to go check out the video we've got from uh, Red Bull this week. Um, like I said, it's a really, really neat video, and we're hoping to have more from several of the teams over the, the coming weeks and months. Uh, but on that note... We call it a show. Hey, I should remind you the website address, since we're telling you you should go there. Oh, yes. Would be www.theblokeandabird.com. Uh, it's also over on Facebook at Facebook dot com slash the bloke and a bird actually i think we're just bloke and a bird over there okay but uh check that out uh and uh other than that we will see you next week we are so glad you came bye 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 now bye 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 remember please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle thank you okay bye bye now bye 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 <laughs> okay are they all gone uh, is, is there is everybody gone <laughs> huh good Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay.